Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. Today I'm talking with Joey Holman. He is one half of Man on Man, the new band on Polyvinyl Records, whose album just came out uh, last week, two weeks ago, recently. And he was also in Cool Hand Luke, a uh, 2000s Christian emo band that I was familiar with. Um, and we talk about quite a few things. So he's got some interaction with Christian music. He's got a very interesting story growing up gay in Atlanta area and uh, in, a, in a broken home, as we'll hear. And we talk about kind of his faith life and uh, journey where he's at now um, the interesting ways that faith is a part of his new band and his life with his bandmate and boyfriend, Roddy. There's not a ton more to say, so I guess we'll just get into it with Joey Holman. Joey. 
Joey Holman, my friendly acquaintance. Hey. Uh, thank you for joining me today, man. I, I, I'm glad we kind of put this in last minute. Uh, I was reminded because your your record came out today, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit as the day that we're recording this anyway, it came out and uh, just had the idea to interview you for this. I don't believe in that God series mm-hmm. and you were available today. Yes. And I feel like that's great because like my mind's kind of my mind is there. I was listening to the record, kind of thinking about your story. And so this is perfect. So thanks for being flexible and, and being able to squeeze this. Yeah, in. I'm really glad that you invited me i've i have seen that you've been making noise about your podcasts and honestly it's the algorithm that's kind of fucked up like i I unfollowed you and followed you again because i i find that sometimes that gets you refreshed in the thing but Uh, i think i don't know i think it's so cool what you're doing i think it's like you always have really good ideas and uh you seem to want to get to the bottom of things which i appreciate so i'm really glad to i do i do want to get to the bottom of things which is sometimes in vain but um, I appreciate it. making noise about my podcast. You mean just blatant self-promotion? No, genuinely that's wanting to know what people want to talk about. Like, I think that's so. That's true. I do. I, I, I solicit feedback maybe more than your average content creator because I'm curious. You know, I think content creators are constantly trial and error, whereas you're much smarter where you're it's there's a vulnerability in asking for people what they want to see or hear because i think a lot of times Hmm. the confusion with let's say a good business person is they've got a really strong idea and they do one thing very well but it's actually just the the ability to like connect people and 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 like i hate to say this but connect ideas is really what makes a really great person who has their own shit going on like that's the most relatable thing is inviting people in so I think I think it's cool that you do that. Thank anyway, you. I appreciate that. Enough about you. Um, <laughs> you know, it is it is a kind of a podcast guest uh, strategy that I have actually given in interviews about being a guest mm-hmm. uh, to like kind of butter up the host a little bit. And so, you know, you're you're following. But that I'm advice. not doing that. I'm not buttering you up. I'm genuinely saying, like, I think it is cool that you're surveying your friends to be like, what do you want me to say? Because I'm too stupid to do it on my own. I'm just kidding. No, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Joey. So let's just get some real basic info here. You are about my age. What are you, 37, 40, I'm something like that? 37, yeah. 37, okay. So am I. Look at When's that. When's your birthday? And you live in, uh, it's in August. <gasps> what about October. you? October. Okay. So you live in New York now, but you're not from New York, nope, right? No, I'm from Buford, Georgia, which is about 35 miles north of Atlanta. And then I moved okay. to Nashville when I was like 21, my last semester of college. And then I moved to New York um, shortly after I was done playing music. And then I lived in Seattle for a couple of years and I moved back to New York in 2018. Yeah, we met when you were, we met in person when you were in Seattle. Yeah, what show did we, was it Minus the Bear? It was some show at the show box and you were also working at Filson at the yes. time. And I was, I had a couple friends that worked there right. and I was always trying to get discounts. <laughs> so I probably, probably our friendship, what, you know, in so much as it's a friendship it is like 30% of it was me trying to get free. That's Filson okay. Shit Even if it were 70, I, yeah. I, I understand that because I like free <laughs> stuff too. Wait, what did I ever hook you up though? No, I don't think so. But it was mm. then I found out that you were in the band and then that oh, was okay. the that was the thing. So, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So, you were in I want to just motivate for people why they will find this interesting. Uh-huh. 
uh, I think. And of course, it's going to go where it goes. But number one is you are a gay man. Uh And so that's going to intersect with your story growing up in the Uh South, I'm sure. Number two, you were in a Christian emo band Uh called Cool Hand Luke. Mm -hmm. I know I had at least one of your records. I don't know how many listeners are going to, you know, Mm -hmm. you guys weren't massive. But if you knew Christian emo, Mm -hmm. you probably knew Cool Hand Luke. The 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 thing I remember most about your band is that you were known for playing facing away from the crowd. Yeah. And the rationale that I understood from some interview that somebody in your band mm-hmm. did, I don't know if it was you, was that, well, God gets the glory, so we don't want to be performing, so we turn around mm-hmm. and play to God. First of all, is that true? Well, absolutely. Well, I think it was two things. I will say this. I was not in the band when that decision was made. Um, I saw a lot of the shows when they did that. And that was the sort of, that was the, the rationale. I think that was sort of, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it is for the fact, I think it was more like they wanted to look cool and do a different stage plot (laughs) and the, like, you know, the unintended Christian like benefit was that it could be like, we're, we're turning our backs to the audience and it's like, well, you're kind of drawing more attention to yourself, but whatever. Of course, by doing right. that, right? Oh, that was t- – and that was totally a thing. I know when I was in an emo pop band, we, we, you know, you'd always think about like, could we put the drummer sideways? And like right. I remember Mute Math yeah. had the drummer in the, in the front. front yeah. And like, you know, there's all these kind of like ways to do it. You stagger the drummer a little to the side. Mm-hmm. What does that yeah. do? Well, I think it was I, – I do think like in their defense, like I do think it was a cool idea because I do think – Oh, it is a cool like, idea. Even, yeah. When I would play shows, I always turn my back to the audience too because it, it just when you're trying to do this like different sort of connective sort of thing with like what you're doing, sometimes an audience can be distracting unless you're playing to like a you know a sea of people. And I did right. feel like sometimes it was hard to really get into it because you're looking at people with their arms crossed, just staring at you and kind of moving their head, 100%. and it's like yeah. I don't want to look at that. <laughs> so. And their defense, I'm like, that was kind of cool, but yeah. Well, okay. So that's a little bit of the bullet points that will come up. And just to remind listeners, and also I don't, we didn't talk about this a ton over text today, but this series of episodes called, I don't believe in that God. The idea being that I want to know what God you don't believe Mm -hmm. in or what specifically you don't believe in anymore Mm -hmm. or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And then what I like to do is by the end We've sort of been able to chat through and we can figure out uh, what we what I also don't believe in or maybe what I do believe Mm -hmm. in. And that is different. Uh, I always find it very interesting to see where the actual agreement and disagreement is and not relying too much on, well, I'm a Christian and you're not a Christian or or some version of that. And and you'll have plenty of chance to define all those terms for yourself. And so I like to start with people's upbringing because Mm -hmm. that gives us that kind of sets the stage. So you're raised in Beaufort, Georgia, mm-hmm. and you were there until around 22, if I remember you right, Yeah, around there, 21 maybe. So, Okay. So tell me about your religious upbringing in, in Beaufort. Well, it was non-existent. Um, I, I okay. was extremely jealous of everybody in my school because, you know, being in Georgia, it's sort of stereotypically the South and the Bible Belt and all that stuff. And my family, I would say they were agnostic at best. You know, they weren't like, you know, there's no, there is no God, um, maybe mm-hmm. more superstitious than agnostic, but we went to church like maybe four or five times and 
you know, my mom grew up Catholic in Wisconsin. My dad was the last of his siblings to be born in Georgia. His family's from Maine. And so it was just sort of like this very casual, non-existent thing that was in our, in our lives and, or not in our lives. And, and I, and I like, I was burning with jealousy because all these kids would talk about going on at the time. I wouldn't call them retreats, but I know they're, they're retreats now, but you know, like they would go away to go skiing on the, on during their winter break and go to like the wow festival or like the extreme conferences and like the, the mission trips in the summertime and like the fun things for spring break and Bible schools and it, like the whole thing, going to church twice or three times a week. And I was like, I want to do it so bad, but I couldn't do it because I just, there was no entry point for me with that. Okay. What do you mean by that? There was no entry point because I grew up evangelical Mm -hmm. and I feel like our whole job was to create entry points for our non-Christian friends. That was our highest calling. It's a good question. I mean, I think I'm saying it more like logistically, like I didn't have a car. Um, The Mm. the closest church to me was actually the church I I ended up going to. It was about a mile away. And to me, like that felt kind of far. I don't know, like a mile and a half away. Yeah. And so there was no like, but that was only until I was 14. So like when I was 14, my, so just setting up my, the reason why church was really important for me is because I, my family, a lot of my family are addicts, alcoholic and other drugs. And so my family was also a um, broken family. So I broken home. How do you say that? Broken family. Yeah. And so my mom, yeah, yeah, I came from broken home and my mom was a single mother who had like kind of these sort of alcoholic weird boyfriends that she was mainly supporting more than they were helping her. And all that to say, I just didn't have any structure. And as a child of an alcoholic, you know, there was just like sort of this responsibility that I had to take care of them, but also this this thing to like maintain at school, this like normalcy that I pretended to have. So a lot of it was lying and pretending things were better than they were. You know, I'd forge like my, my progress reports and my report cards and, you know, homework. And because sometimes my mom wasn't there in the morning because she, you know, spent the night at her boyfriend's house or my stepdad wasn't there, you know, there was just like no structure, no sort of like rigor and zeal for like academics. And so I just kind of like, pretended things were okay. And I lied a lot, a ton, you know, and make up, you know, stories about what my family did, you know, what my, the careers my parents had and just a lot of shit. And what I really craved was like structure and role models. And I didn't have that. And so that was kind of like most of my life before I, I was 14 was sort of like, what's the word I'm looking for? I was just, I had two younger sisters and an older brother. And I was, I was just sort of like existing and, and just you were surviving. Yeah. I mean, you were a teenager in an impossible situation. Right, I was, and I witnessed physical violence, um, uh, domestic violence in my household, and there was a lot of you know arguments. So it just there it, there was not a lot of safety. It didn't feel very safe, and so I needed something that was like here's what a, a, a semi normal family functions like. So that set me up in a way to be hungry for the message of Jesus and the message of like community and family and a father taking me in and fellowship and all this stuff that just comes with, with what being Christian is. So when I was 14, my best friend, Matt, who lived in the neighborhood next to me, his girlfriend went to the church that I said earlier was the closest to me. And she was like, they're going on a summer retreat. 
And uh, she was like, do you want to go with me? And my best friend, Matt, was like, I'll go with you, but only if Joey goes with me. And so I asked my mom, and surprisingly, she was like, yeah, that's fine. So we went to the thing, and I was riding in a bus with a bunch of nerdy church kids because I was like, you know, I was not (laughs) – I wasn't refined yet in the Christian world. I was a little bit – I mean, no, you were like full on the streets yes, compared totally. to them. Yeah. And they were a little yeah. quiet around me. And not because I was like a tough guy, but I they could tell I thought they were really nerdy. Like the first night in hindsight, the first night was always the big night because it's when the pastor of the whole church would do a, a message. And then the rest of okay. the week would be like the youth pastor. But he did the the classic line, which is if you're 99.9% sure where you're going when you die, you're 100% lost. And I was like, whoa. I was like, oh, my God, I don't know. And so at the time, of, at the end, he asked everybody to raise their hand if they didn't know if they were where they are going when they died. And I was like, I don't know. So I raised my hand. And I sat outside with a guy named Bobby Chapman for like two hours. And he was trying to convince me of why it was good to be a Christian. And I think to his credit, he was like, why don't you just sit with what we talked about? You could tell he was getting a little bit like a little tired of it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he said something really great too. He was like, you know, son, you're digging straight through the truth. And I was like, oh my God, that's so good. Um, and digging straight to the digging truth, straight through the truth, straight meaning like I wasn't truth. just, I was trying to get too deep with it. Cause I brought up the thing, oh, which is a very natural thing. It's kind of the greatest hits for like why people don't believe in God, which is like, what about the kids who've never heard of Jesus and what, why suffering right, and blah, blah, right. blah. But I came to, I'd said that naturally. Like, I don't think I was like, heard that from anybody before. It was just sort of like, but Hmm. if I don't, you know, whatever. And so he said, I was digging straight through the truth. And I was like, wow. And so I left that little meeting and I went to my bunk and I said the prayer. He told me to pray. And I felt amazing when I was done. I felt incredible. Hmm. Uh, I guess the Holy Spirit had entered my body and I was like, I'm never looking back. Wow. Okay. So. I do want to talk about that conversion experience, but before before we do, I I, I want to say a little bit about your desire to go to to find a church, to find a youth group, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I am in a population of people who were raised in a very religious evangelical environment, and where it was is, this? Uh, well, I just mean like I mean I I was raised in California, okay. uh, in the Bay Area, but I just mean millions of people roughly our age who, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of nits to pick and some of them are not just nitpicks. Some of them are really real tragic stuff, abuse and uh, rampant hypocrisy, Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of stuff, gaslighting. But I do think that we, I think that we sometimes overlook these kind of core benefits of being a part of sort of social or religious groups in one way or another, even if that's the Boy Scouts or whatever, but like that, yeah, going to youth group in the middle of the week and having some friends from youth group that go to your school and having a Sunday where you sing in a group Mm -hmm. and you play games with people in a, in a place that has no drugs or alcohol Mm -hmm. where nobody is currently having sex, whether or not they're having sex Mm -hmm. other times, you know, I'm talking about 13, 12 year olds Mm -hmm. like that is valuable Mm -hmm. and like the the social science research on that stuff is very strong that that is just good for kids and and your story just kind of brings that up it's like not a thing that i think about very much doesn't come up very much in the kind of settings 
where I tend to find myself talking about all this theology mm-hmm. and all this, all this crap that we were taught that ends up being false. But that is another part of it too. And I don't know, you know, we haven't gotten further down the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's some, something coming that will really negate that for you personally. Uh, but I, that just seems like worth noting. I think up. you're right. The social science around like stability and, and encouragement and the, just the language that everybody uses is so positive. And there's like this sort of this, I don't, I don't know, you know, if listeners are Christian, I don't, I don't mean this to belittle anybody, but there's this sort of like, when you take on a belief that you've been saved and you really, and you say it all the time and you talk about where you would be if you weren't saved, there is like this thing that you celebrate a lot. There's a lot to be thankful for through the lens of sort of being saved. And it doesn't stop there. I mean, think about, you know, your youth pastor challenging you to write a sermon for your youth group or to come up and talk in front of the entire church and give a testimony and to say like, you know, you've got 20 minutes. What are you going to do with that 20 minutes? And then you are seeing a public speaker two or three times a week in front of you and you learn like what's good and bad about a public speaker and how do you hold people's attention? And then What's the best service look like? Well, it's got a great, great music. The the set list for the songs is really strong. The band sounds really great. And, you know, the the speaking was really good. And it's like, you don't say that then. It's like a way more sort of convoluted, uh, loaded, you know. Sure. Uh, yeah. Christian. Right. Totally. But like, right. but from a very holistic level, it's like, yeah, the set mm-hmm. list was rad. The person singing the solo had an, a killer voice. And the pastor was like really awesome. And I felt like I learned a lot. And then it's like, go into your church and spread this message because this is the biggest mission field you'll ever have. So there's responsibility that you have to take on. And Mm -hmm. it's like the world's lost. And so you learn like creativity in a way that a lot of kids don't. You learn about sort of like what works in terms of community and what doesn't work. And there are like benefits to that. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, I play music because I went to church because I play with other kids in my church, you know? So that's exactly where I was going to go. I know that Cool Hand Luke was a Christian band, mm-hmm. but Sherwood was not. Mm-hmm. And we toured, we only toured with a Christian band one time. We toured with Reliant right. K. I guess we toured with them twice. Right. But by that point, they were in the general market sure. anyway, and they brought general market bands out. But it was incredible. The percentage of guys and gals in bands, let's say on Warp Tour... Mm-hmm or on the various tours that we did that got their start playing at church Um, or singing in a choir or something. It's shocking. And we would kind of joke about it. But if you think of it just purely from a developmental standpoint, it's just like, hey, where are you going to have an excuse to practice your instrument during the week and then perform in front of a hundred people at age 16. Like you get over nowhere. I mean, at the age of school band, maybe if you, you know, glee club, maybe, but anybody, you could be cool or not cool. You could play in the worship band. It's like free skills development in a safe environment. Uh, And so I love the way that you're kind of like, it's pretty clear that you have, thought through a lot of this stuff, maybe in therapy, maybe in other ways as I well. I talk to myself a lot and I do, and I do, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I do. And I, I work out a lot of those, like I have mixed feelings about this. So let me like kind of yeah cut things up and, and see what, what's inside. And a lot of the ways that I make sense of my experiences in the past is I do talk to myself out loud and I just sort of interview myself in a way. And I just, just hear myself 
you know, to hear myself talk is sometimes very therapeutic about certain mm-hmm. things. So, and I do have a, th- I, I haven't gone to a therapist in a while, but um, since COVID, but, um, but yeah, I definitely have had a few conversations with a therapist. Yeah. I mean, it's no, it's, it's awesome because I, I think that it shows a certain level of integration to use a, a little catch phrase of like, you know, being able to look at your past, we're going to get to the stuff that you don't agree with anymore mm-hmm. and doesn't define you anymore, but to be able to pick out the stuff. Yeah, I don't want to save that, the positive uh, you know. too soon because I know that's at the end of the podcast, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, I'm, at a, I'm 37 now, so I've had time to kind of evolve from, you know, if, if I did this podcast when I was 29, it would sound very different. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, okay. So let's talk about that conversion experience mm-hmm. a little bit. I'm I'm really interested in conversion experiences. Yeah. As a kid who was raised and became Christian at like five or six, which I is never so crazy one. to me. Did you ever feel like you didn't really get saved at a certain point when you were like 14? Like, oh my god, I'm. Wait, what do you say? Doubting your you salvation? Know, that was like the thing. Like, yeah, right. You know that comes up a lot when talking to other people. Um, but no, for, for whatever reason, I had this kind of perfect combination of we weren't Calvinists, mm. but we did really believe in once saved, always sure. saved for some That's, reason. I love that and though. Yeah. I and I never doubted it. So I've I've never really felt like there was a sh- chance I wasn't in. N- now, like around 22, 23, I started to become a, a universalist and believe that there's nobody is mm-hmm. damned right. no matter what. But even before then, I never – that was never a thing that I really was afraid of. All my anxieties were actually about this life and not about the next mm-hmm. life. Um, and I did have a lot of anxieties around religion, which will – I'll talk about them if they're pertinent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that wasn't an issue for me. It was more just that I didn't have the kind of story that was really valued mm-hmm. in those church yeah, settings. Yeah, I know the type exactly of testimony what you're talking about. Yes. yes. Your story yeah. was the one. I grew up in a yeah. broken home. There were drugs and alcohol around. I didn't know what to do. Then I came to Jesus and now my mm-hmm. life makes sense. That was the kind of story we were always told mm-hmm. and I didn't have one of those, but you you yeah. did and I want to I want to drill down a little bit on that mm-hmm. night at 14 at camp. Like you said you felt great afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like what language would you give to that experience now? I I would say I felt light. I really did I felt lighter. I felt clear. I felt present. I felt like I had just had a really good nap. I felt Mm. like things were more colorful and I just, I, the feeling was like I had something to, to do now. And and I think that like that sense of responsibility, even though it was 10 minutes old, there was something that I could to, to learn about now. It wasn't on my own anymore. I wasn't going to be spending every night just playing music and watching TV and, masturbating four times it was like now i can read the bible because all these kids knew everything about the bible they'd grown up in the the church so they had years and years and years of sermons and and sunday school and i didn't know shit and so i was like i'm gonna catch up to these kids because i i don't like that they have these jokes about things yeah that conversion experience was like very much just it was euphoric and there was no sense of anything wrong. It was just very youthful and, and really pure. That's, that's incredible. Um, one thing that everybody knows who's been to one of these camps or these retreats is, is there is a, there's a very common 
phenomenon, which is when you get away from your regular life, you get away from the cares and concerns of your home and school, and you, you can get put into these very emotionally charged environments, which I think can produce really good experiences like the mm-hmm. ones that you had, for instance. Um, but then there's also like a, a cooling off period afterwards. Right. And, and people people's mileage varies quite a bit on how much of that light, how much of that purpose sticks around mm-hmm. after the experience is over and how much of it just goes back to normal, right. sort of reverts to the mean in statistical language. So I want, can you talk a little bit about, let's say the next six months of your life after that happened? Yeah. I mean, I would say the first intense experience that I had was, was, I think it was the last night or it could be the second, the last night, I think it was like five days. And there was this thing called the crosswalk, which is we took like the lateral part of the cross. I never understood that. Like, it's such a thing that people do. Maybe it was like, you only carry the sideways beam yes. or yeah, whatever. Not the yeah. full cross. Not the full thing. Like yeah. That's like maybe in the Passion of the Christ. I don't remember now. Yeah, I don't know. But that's a version you would see of like yes. Jesus carrying his Just cross was only thing. carrying yeah. half of exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Someone's lying. But um, I think <laughs> there. so there was this thing called the crosswalk and we walked to the beach and I think there was. By the way, crosswalk elite youth group yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty yes. great. That's good. Yeah. Crosswalker. <laughs> Like Luke Skywalker. Well, also just like you first, and you, when you're in school, you're always going across crosswalks. Oh, crosswalker! Oh, crosswalk to get across yeah, yeah. the street. That's so genius! So that's a great pun. Yeah, the crosswalk is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like jealous of that. Okay, and anyway, and honestly, on. I look back in my youth pastor, even though I thought he was really stupid. Not stupid. He was very simple, and I think he wanted to yeah. take the the youth group to the next level of what he was seeing some of these mega churches doing. Right. But he's, he lacked this sort of like coolness to him. He was kind of like a dad age. I mean, he had, his kids were my age in the youth group and he was mm-hmm. really, you know, like really sweet and whatever, but he was just, he lacked the, the finesse that he needed to really like go to the next level. He would have swagger. He would try to have swagger sometimes. And it was just sort of like, yeah, you're not that guy, but I do, yeah. but he was really smart. And so I think and in terms of like, he, like he wasn't a dummy, like he, he, yeah. I think he used the word crosswalk because he knew it was like a pun, but he, yeah. we went to the beach, we walked to the Good beach, one. uh, which was like two blocks away. And there probably was about 40 kids, maybe, maybe a little bit more. Like, so we stopped at one point and then would read scripture probably about the, like when Jesus was going to die. And right. then it was like, we walked. So then another kid carried the cross or dragged the cross and we would walk just one that you took yes. turns yeah, with. Yeah. Okay. And then the next kid would do it. And we would walk like, you know, three minutes, stop, read scripture, walk three minutes, stop, read scripture. And then of course the last part is you lay the cross down. And then it's like, what do you want to lay down in your own life? These kinds of rituals. Yeah. People shit on them, yeah. but they are they're genius. Yeah. They they're, really they're are. They're literally like body keeps the score shit. Like it's not exactly. like. It's n- exactly. <laughs> it, it, okay. But there are problems with this. We won't say them now. Uh, yes. But, but, there are problems. <laughs> but I remember I had no reason. There was no, maybe it was the influence of the people around me, this hyper emotional, it was dark, you know, there was a tiki torch. Oh my God. And there was sort of like this, like, it was very like primal and we, the kids, you know, so then at the end you would lay your hand on the cross. So all of us are huddled together with the hand on the cross. It was a matter of what do you want to put down? And I don't remember what I thought, but I was weeping. I was Weeping. 
you know, I, I kind of, I do get a little bit emotional thinking about that because I think I was letting a lot out at that time that I didn't have a language for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it was just sort of like this emotional fatigue that I wanted to let go of that was like bringing me down. Cause like I said, I didn't have a language for the trauma that I had experienced. And so, sure. so yeah, I, w- I was just like weeping and crying. And that was sort of the first, like, it was kind of an invitation too, because you know, when you're, when you're in a, in a household where you have to kind of be together and the emotional part is like you, you're invited to yell and you're invited to scream at each other. And, and there's no sort of structure for like good rapport and like, I don't know, like tact, but you, you didn't like show weakness. You could, you could show any other frustration, humor, but weakness was kind of not really, you know, something that to be shown. And so there was this like element to where I was able to be emotional in a different way. That was really cool mm. for me. So yeah, yeah, I just remember just crying and and just and, and in some ways letting something out. So so the next six months was like you know a, a few weeks later I got baptized and my family come and came and watched that and my pastor yeah. said something to my dad that was offensive to my dad, which was like they'll let anybody in here now, which is this very unoffensive thing to say to somebody. And it's like, whatever, but my dad didn't like that. So it was another reason for him not Uh, to be a Christian. That's maybe not best practices. I mean, it's kind of, (laughs) but my dad is really funny. And like, and, and so like you would think, and, and I can, I knew my pastor wasn't being a dick about it. And my dad would just, he needed anything, a reason to just not be into it. But, um, I got baptized and then it was the thing that you said, like where a lot of kids who didn't grow up with this like crazy story, I could see that they were looking at me like, that's the guy that has the story. We've been waiting for You're the proof in the pudding. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And there wasn't a lot of kids in the youth group that were making mistakes just yet. Like there was no gossip in a way, like the older kids were sort of, like the whole like passion Hillsong vineyard thing really hit right when I became a Christian. Okay. So the older kids didn't have anything to look to in a really mature way. That was like an elevated thing that they had been experiencing before. And so there was no scandal yet, you know, and, and, and so in my mm-hmm. youth group and, and so I was just sort of like the guy that was like, he came from a lost family and Blah, blah, blah. And then the first six months, a guy named Barney Williams, he recognized very quickly that I didn't have structure and and came from a broken home. And he was like, how are you getting to church every day? And um, he would pick me up every Sunday morning and take me out to, to breakfast. And we'd go to church in the morning. And, you know, over the span of several years, he was like my second dad. I mean, I became a part of his family and, you know, just a really beautiful example of of somebody who's who gets it you know who gets that whole message and he gave me work during the summer to make money you know he helped me pay for things he taught me to drive he I would spend Christmases with him you know and just his kids were like my siblings like the whole thing I mean he was just like he was amazing and and Barney Williams the name and, and the person will come back later in the story but that's the kind of thing that we we do lose when we stop being in community, religious or otherwise. Mm-hmm. But especially religious communities are natural places for that kind of service right. within a community that is like 
it's really the bread and butter of human existence. Right. I mean, I, I would put it that strongly sure. that like finding someone in your community who needs something that you're able to give that and then and then using that as a beginning to build a lifelong relationship mm. with another person yeah. where you can mutually help each other and be and just be in each other's lives. Right. That is kind of the whole thing. Like at the end of a life, it's like, how many of those did I have? Right. And yeah. and churches often, of course, those people can be predators and there can be all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I you don't know this, but I'm I'm researching spiritual abuse mm-hmm. and there, you know, there are some problems. Oh my god! But yeah. when it works, this story, uh, this Barney story, right. this is like that is the thing working, right. and it's actually just really cool to just hear a story like that. Yeah, honestly, for me, yeah. I mean, again, it comes back to the fact I'm 37 now, and it's not. I'm not doing this interview. You know, 10 years ago, I yeah. do like my friend Taylor. He's producing. I have another record that I'm doing, like an EP that he's he's helping me do. And when we were younger, when I lived in Nashville, he he kind of hated me because I was so like anti everything because I had just quit Cool Hand Luke, and mm-hmm. I was so sick of everything. So uh, yeah, we can come back to that story too. I keep jumping ahead. Let me let's try to stay where where you want us to stay. Sorry. Well, well, okay. That no, it's it's no big deal. Let's just talk about maybe. From from that time to moving to Nashville mm-hmm. in your early twenties, anything else that's important for you know just the faith journey uh, details that are going to come up later? Yeah, I mean, I think like where like I was saying earlier, there was this like whole like passion thing was happening, and Hillsong like United was happening, right. and and Vineyard was happening, and the music became really good. Like they weren't just like these these like old school hymns, but they also weren't cheesy rock songs. They were like, right. You know, delays on the guitars and and there were lights and there was good looking people in the band. And, and, and it was like, it was just good and really great singers. I mean, let's be honest, like there were some killer singers and every Tuesday night was a thing called Seven Twenty Two, And it was in Atlanta and a guy named Louis Giglio spoke at it every Tuesday night. And he was kind of hot yep. shit. Like he wrote books and, He's still kind of hot shit. Is he? Actually. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how cool it is. He's he recently kind of put his foot in his mouth trying to do racial stuff with Lecrae. Oh wow. The Christian yeah, rapper. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of a scandal around yeah. that. Uh comparing, I believe I don't want to I'm gonna mess it up, but no, it was not a good look. There were some yeah. there were he did that before too, where it was kind of cringy. And and I don't think I think he just hadn't really I think he made maybe his access to like a, a diverse friend group would have probably made him think and say things differently at the time. Yes. So I don't want to judge him too harshly. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was attempting to do like he very clearly thought that he was there's a whole patron exclusive episode where we talk about the theological kind of bind that people like him are in on race relations yeah. because there is they cannot let go of some version of prosperity gospel where I'm doing well or my church is doing well or something is doing well materially well Mm -hmm. because God wants us to be doing well. Mm -hmm. And if you think that, then you really can't take seriously that we just like stole land and then stole people to work the stolen land and then that's a big reason that we're wealthy now yeah. and you can't really, those two will never square. No. We don't have to get into it, yeah. but that, but Lou Giglio is, that is the most recent thing that yeah. I, he came, but that was just like last year. 
So he's he's still a big well, deal. I mean, I would say good because he's I think he's smart and I do think that he I think he does care about like communicating. He's a great communicator. I mean, like he's a great oh, public sure. speaker. He's emotional and right. he's smart and he's like, you know, now he's like a daddy, so he's like kind of a hot daddy, but like um <laughs> I don't know, like not hot, but you know what? Like, what's the age cutoff, by the way, for daddy in the gay in gay community, or is it like infinity. a hair color thing? It's or? infinity. You could no. What's the earliest age you could? Oh, be a daddy? um, that's a great question. I would say it depends on your age. Yeah, at least ten, at least fifteen, older than you, at least maybe. What do you think? Yeah, I would say yeah. That's a good. That's a good. Um, that's a good guess. So what that means, I think it's just, okay. it's like Christianity. It's different for everybody. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, but he was saying something like he was telling a story and he wasn't, you know, this, this church, North Point church. I mean, there was this, the building could fit like, a, you know, several thousand people and it was every Tuesday right. night and it was like Candy Pearson and like Chris Tomlin and like Steve Fee. It was like the passion band played every Tuesday night. We were very spoiled. This is the beginnings of what would become like a massive, massive. worldwide yes. yeah, yeah. worship and but, conference. But movement. when it took yeah. off, they still did that every Tuesday night. So they did every, and yeah. you had it was it like you two being your local yes. band, and before the album yes, comes out, for right? real. And they would like test yeah. songs out, and it was like, it, and I think like Hillsong United took a huge cue from that, and then like they completely right. eclipsed what Passion was doing. But early stages, it sounds like we're talking about like you know, a punk band, like in the seventies and like, they totally did that. And then like the Ramones <laughs> came along and did, but no. Yeah. Um, well, that is how so uh, free market creative things work. Right. And that is, that is true. But he was telling a story about like, he was like, yeah, I was doing a thing and, and I was talking about thing like a blah, blah, blah. And, and a, a guy, a black man came up to me. I think he might probably said African-American at this point, And he was like, I can never accept your white Jesus. And of course, like, you know, there's a pregnant pause and, and, and he's like, I think his genius and the reason why he can get away with the whole like thing that doesn't square up regarding like prosperity is because everybody's still pretending that it's about suffering and they're pretending that it's about a black Jesus when we clearly know that it has nothing to do or doesn't have any direct correlation with what Jesus actually taught and or maybe not taught, like they're teaching the things that Jesus taught, but it's like, well, none of those, none of those churches actually, as I understand it, take the economic teachings very seriously. Yeah. That's, that's a because good point. Because if they did, it would be, it's far too much cognitive. Well, business. making I mean, yourself poor. I mean, it's like people will say like, yeah, Jesus made himself poor, but he was a son of God. So he had to do that because to, to represent sort of like this material power would then to kind of would degrade his message. And in this life, if you acquire wealth or status, it's different because you're not the son of God and the son of God didn't need that. And sure. he never would have needed that. And so, yeah, but the Beatitudes are in both Luke and Matthew. But how often do we teach the Luke one where it says, blessed are the poor? Yeah. Well, no, they, no, 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 we'll no. Do they do poor teach in spirit. Them. Yeah, they, yeah. No, yeah. we'll do poor exactly. in spirit, the yeah, Matthew yeah. version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I don't, and you know, it's like, yes, but it's also the text is there. If we, we yeah. can teach it, if we wanted to, right. I, I think that Jesus is, I mean, especially today, you know, and this is different than 20 years ago mm -hmm. um, when we were teenagers, but today, especially the economics around left-leaning, if you want to call it that sort of 
fiscal conversations are the conservative Americans are so allergic to that mm-hmm. that they basically they don't have ears to hear even their own Lord and Savior yeah. talk about it because Tucker Carlson has whispered in their ear enough mm-hmm. that they are petrified or Rush Limbaugh or whomever. Right. And it's become so politicized that Jesus can't even break the, the actual literal red letter words of Jesus cannot pierce through that for most conservatives right now. It wasn't as bad 20 years ago. Yeah. And so that's nothing that's, was as bad it's 20 years ago. Thing. I mean, visibly bad <laughs> 20 years ago. I think everything is being made known now. I don't think everything, but a lot mm-hmm. of things are being made known and everybody is sort of forced to look at their shit and say like, I'm going to double down or I'm going to do some work and try to figure out what yeah. I believe in. And yeah, you know, it's really funny. Like we'll do podcasts. And I also have like, most of my friends aren't Christians or or they came from the world of being a Christian and really aren't Christian anymore. But for my yeah. friends that never grew up that way, you know, we'll be on podcasts and I'll be with my boyfriend and and like we were being interviewed by this guy in England and he was talking about the letdown of like coming to America and seeing like homelessness and like, and just like all this stuff. And this just, and I was just like, I'm from a poor family and I know I, I, not to say that like there were no rich people around me, but like everything that you're pointing to about the, like this atrocity in America, it's not new. (laughs) Like I've lived with this. I I grew up with this. And so like when people are talking, like when you're talking about like the message of Jesus, not being able to pierce certain things, I don't know if that was it, like maybe it's worse now because people are doubling down on it. But 20 years ago, yeah. you could kind of hide it where I think we have yeah. a lot of accountability now that we didn't have not accountability. I would say more surveillance Yes, surveillance. and, and, yeah. and like exposure to, to ideas and, and again, like language about expressing certain injustices. And so people are sort of having to, again, like double down or like do the work and, and, and maybe, and, and repent. Truly, like right. to to get away from the shit that they believed in, and we're seeing this really gross doubling down right now. I think you're right. I think the num the percentage of people who repent is probably roughly even across time, mm-hmm. but that the people who didn't repent, it, it wasn't so clear that they weren't repent- exactly. that they were doubling yes. down on the opposite yeah. of what Jesus said. Yeah. Right. I think that's right. Yeah. But let's so let's let's keep moving here. So you have exposure to this incredible sort of burgeoning arts worship scene Mm -hmm. in Atlanta Mm -hmm. in that period before you go to Nashville. Mm -hmm. I also want to ask like, when does your, when does your realization of your sexuality come into play? Uh, And you're in, you're in these church church situations in Georgia Mm -hmm. that are not affirming. I mean, that's no goes without saying, I think. Yeah. So can you tell us how does that start coming into the story? Yeah. I mean, it, it started, I mean, there are some of my gay friends who were like, I knew at five I was gay. And I don't think right. I really knew that. I was very, in some ways, fortunate not to have to deal with my sexuality when I became a Christian because the excuse of knowing Jesus and wanting to know everything about like the mission that my life will will eventually become is the the search for that mission was really important and studying and busying myself with like Christian shit was really, it kind of took up a lot of time and I played in bands and I didn't really have to deal with it until I was going to masturbate. And I would like, you know, if I looked at pornography, it would be gay pornography or I would think about certain men in my church that I wanted to have sex with and, or like whatever, like youth group kids that I want to have sex with. And, and so I, I, in the purest way thought it would just go away. Like I, I wasn't even worried about it. Like it was just sort of like, 
this is what I do. And, and that's also like, like the insight into how up it was because where a lot of kids were, you know, able to, to have this sort of like, even though it was like not good to do this as a, as a teenager of like experimenting or having sex, it was still sort of like, would never be as bad if you were gay and experimenting having of course. sex. Yeah, because it's boys will be boys and, you know, you could get – a lot would get uh, papered over with boys will be boys. Well, and, uh, but, but sadly, it's boys will be boys and, and girls will be sluts. I mean that's kind of what it was. Right. Like I remember like the Even boys that, would, right. would kind of get caught and the girls would feel such this immense shame from, from their – the youth group. They were not pure anymore and the guy was sort yes. of like – it was almost like the guy didn't even really change. It was like – the gender imbalance in the way that purity culture was applied yeah. in evangelical Christianity is it was so gross. Yeah. And but yeah. here's the cool thing: I kind of had a double life in a lot of ways until you know ten years ago, where when I was a super evangelical Christian, I had Christian world, but I also had like my family, my home life was not Christian at all, and that mm. gave me a long leash when it came to. I, I would experiment with girls, you know, and, and of course no one ever would know about that at church, but that it never would know about it because it, those worlds did not collide. And I would also not masturbate for long periods of time because I, I thought it was sinful. Like a lot of you guys probably do too, or did too. And I remember having like a tally of like days. I used to think it was sinful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, my friend, I remember telling me one time, like, it's not, if you just sing praise songs and masturbate, it's not bad. And, no, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so I, I was like, no. I'm not going to do it. And so I would go like long spells as a teenager, like your glory years of masturbation. I would like not do it, but um, <laughs> I, I, it, it wasn't like that extreme. I mean, I didn't do it for yeah. a long time for at one point, but whatever. When did you first feel any kind of, I don't know, tension between your sexuality and your Christianity? I think because Christianity was so wrapped in the culture that I grew up in, it had always existed. I mean, there was no safety for me to mm. even hint that I was gay. The tension was as a gay man, there was no, there was nowhere safe. I mean, there was, there was nothing that I could, there's right. no expression. There was no outlet. There was no experimentation. There was no territory in which I could even dip my toe into the, the possibility that I was gay. So, the tension really was felt when I got a car and I was able to, you know, pass as 21 years old and drive to Atlanta and go to a gay bar and like want to hook up with guys. And then the internet was like, it was still kind of like not where it needed to be, but, um, there was no grinder. Not just, just yet. yet, but there was like, yeah, I remember the first time I ever hooked up with a guy was through this website. I think it was called like sex lava. It was so insane. Like you could only message somebody twice, like until you had to pay. And, huh. and so it was just sort of like <laughs> it opened like my, yeah. the, the tension opened up for me when I had finally had sex and I was like, Oh, like I'm totally gay. So how do I hide this? So I guess the tension could have been felt more mm. in like the, the active effort to hide my tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? It does. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I'm still kind of stuck on sex yeah. lava, which is just otherworldly. Some great yeah. names are coming out of yeah, your story. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it's really great yeah, branding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it was mostly then. But like I said, like I had the luxury of, of like, 
like, and also like Christianity brought this like academic part of me, you know, out, you know, where I was mm. reading fiction and yeah, theology and, yeah. you know, it was like A.W. Yeah. Tozer and C.S. Lewis. It was like really kind of like heavy shit. And it was also like, you know, even kind of Langston Hughes and Waldo Emerson. And they were like these sort of like really beautiful Christian-y kind of like classic, you know, writers and, and, yeah. and so it got kind of heady, but not like in a, probably not in the way that you are, but, um, no, that's actually, it's funny. Uh, that's so interesting. Cause I was just thinking that is my experience yeah. too, that when me getting into thinking and like more serious arts, more serious literature, mm-hmm. uh, more serious film, th- those guys, and, and I would add in a lot of Catholic writers like Thomas mm-hmm. Merton and, um, Shusaku Endo, yeah. I read Silence when I was 17 Mm -hmm. for the first time. And I was like, Catholics (laughs) are making this beautiful art in Japan about questioning God's silence, you know, and pretty shortly thereafter watching Terrence Malick films. And uh, I read Chesterton in college. I read Lewis in college. Chesterton was Lewis's hero, right? Yeah. He's like a a generation earlier and Catholic. What's his really thick book that everybody, I I bought it. I can't remember. Orthodoxy is the one that everybody reads. Yeah. I read that in college. I don't know. I, that's when I kind of was like, maybe I'm not theological. I, I, well, fine. in that way, yeah. there's like everybody. a there's like theology of the streets, and there's like theology of like the the library halls, of the sheets, yeah, of the library, yeah, <laughs> the sheets. Um, <laughs> there is theology there are, of the sheets. Yeah. Uh, you have to be really into theology till <laughs> right, you get into yeah. that stuff. But no, I think that there is something there though that that's actually quite related to what we were talking about earlier about having structure mm-hmm. and then also like having your your relationship with Barney, but then also being able to play in the worship mm-hmm. band and like practice your chops. There is a sense in which the, the problem with evangelicals is they stop at C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. and Tozer and whoever else, John MacArthur, if they if they get if things mm-hmm. get really bad. But it works really well as a as a gateway mm-hmm. into the life mm-hmm. of the mind, uh, and and I'm grateful that I didn't just stop with those approved authors and kept mm-hmm. going. But that is another kind of cool thing, challenging fifteen to twenty three year olds to you know just thinking like high school and college ministry, like challenging people, young people to use their brains mm-hmm. and to. Like, see how far, like, you got to orthodoxy mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, this is, this book's kind of mm-hmm. my limit, but you got all the way mm-hmm. to there. Yeah. And like, that's awesome. Well, and I also that's think great. that I was buying orthodoxy and I remember having it on tour and, you know, it sort of was like in like between the windshield and like the top of like, it was just over like the span of like weeks and it was starting to like curl up, you know, being in the sun. And that's when, you know, you're I not going to read, read that, that book. book. Yeah. And, you know, I tried really hard, but it, I just, but I think I got it for show and because I wanted to be theological. Cause I found myself being in a band yes. that was like, had this immense responsibility now where kids were coming up to me every night and talking about how our music saved their life mm-hmm. or, whatever the thing was. And it was really intense. And I was like, I have such a limited language for understanding the depths of your pain or maybe my own understanding of what I believe in. And so I wanted to get something to prove that I was still growing. And so the orthodoxy thing was more of show for me to kind of prove to my bandmates that I wasn't complacent, but it's kind of like the perfect vision of like, 
of survival again, right? Like to be able to, yeah. to not be judged and to be worthy and to be valuable, to be relevant for, you know, the people in your band and what you're doing and your opinions matter now because I'm able to keep up with this thing. And so, yeah, it's very <laughs> crazy, but it's very human. It's so human, you know? but yeah, like I, I could, I could cringe. Yeah. Like I, the, the pain and the grief is cringe the mature working through that stuff is like, good for you. Like good for you right. for being this like gay kid and playing in this Christian band that a lot of people knew about and the rigor yeah. and responsibility and the pressure of being in a band and writing music and having managers and labels and record, you know, like recording dates and rehe- like all this stuff, like good for you. Like you pulled within and you, you figured out how to survive in that. Like, great. <laughs> well, I remember how much authority I gave to, you know, Reese Roper of Five Iron Frenzy mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't have, but my career of MXPX, mm-hmm. you know, there certain uh, songwriters were more or less worthy of that kind of giving them that much right. weight, you know, and of course my career, he's a nice guy. I actually, the one time I hung out with him, he was super kind to me. I'm not saying mean mm-hmm. things about him. Uh, I'm just saying that like, you know, that he was, that was never really going to be his thing in the way that it obviously has been Mm -hmm. for Reese um, or for people like myself, who'd never had quite that level of success in a band, but kind of kept along that path because of my own interests. But like, that is a heavy thing to to carry. Teenagers naturally look up to musicians Mm -hmm. and actors and these days, Instagram Mm -hmm. influencers or whatever. And you just found yourself the recipient of that in a very natural kind of a way. And, and you and you rose to the occasion in a mm-hmm. way that you could. Can we talk a little bit more about that period? So now you're in your mm-hmm. 20s. You're on tour with a Christian yep. band. You're making records. What's going on with your faith other than, okay, trying to keep up uh, both with my bandmates, keep up appearances with the fans, be able to stay in these mm-hmm. conversations? Are things starting to slip? Are you getting closer to where you are now yet at this well, point they start, or what? They started to slip probably two years before I joined the band. So I had graduated okay. high school and I was in college and I would come home every Sunday and I was now a Sunday school teacher. And at this point I was going to the clubs on the on Saturday night and I would come home at four in the morning five in the morning and I was supposed to spend the entire week preparing this, this lesson. And I would park my car in front of the church, like 20 minutes before I was just to get in there. I'd read it like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then I would just go in and I would talk to the kids for an hour. And it was, I was amazing. I was such a good teacher, but there was no, there were, (laughs) I was starting to slip then. And then um, I kind of met somebody at a bookstore. And for the listeners who don't know what that is, it's like, there's adult bookstores, but a lot of times in the, not so much now, but more so then. There are still some that exist, but there's like booths that you can go into and watch like pornography, put in like a quarter or like a, you know, four quarters. Now the appeal is that there's like glory holes on each side. So you can go to these like photo, they, not photo booths, these video booths, and you can yeah. do glory hole stuff or hook up with guys. And there was a place in Atlanta that I went to go do that. And I met this guy. And really liked him and it was awesome. And um, at the time I was going to Australia during the summertime 
I was like going there for other things besides just church. But um, I was like, a volu- I was a intern at a school and I was pre-med and I was like this whole thing. But so I came back from Australia over the summer and we kept hanging out and that was for like four or five months, still super torn. Like, oh my gosh, do I still believe in God? Like, I think I do. And I still go to church and I still te- teach Sunday school. And then I kind of just told him, I was like, you know, I think this this isn't going to work out. And the next day, the singer from Cohen Luke emailed me or texted me and said, hey, our guitar player got married. Do you want to come up to Nashville and maybe like, let's write some stuff together and see what shakes loose? So God, I mean, hmm. talk about a sign, right? That like, felt like that was everything. Yeah, Providence, right. And so I was like, yeah, this wow. isn't to be gay is not good. And this is like, okay, I'm going to try not to do it anymore. And that lasted for like, I don't know, like three or four months. And then eventually over the the course of the next year, I found I was, all my shit was in Nashville and I moved there with, with, um, with another guy who was in our band named Casey McBride. And, you know, I was on Craigslist and this is before the apps. And there was a, there was a, a, you're going to love this. There's a website called Manhunt. (laughs) And then another website (laughs) called... Manhunt is even better than and sex then lava. Another yeah. website called Adam for Adam. And um that's okay. Yeah. Okay, you don't love that one. Okay. That's I like I like yeah, Manhunt. Manhunt and yeah, what else? Really, Manhunt and is also very the classic good. was gay.com. I mean, that's kind of like where I really, you know, mm-hmm. um <laughs> it's really where I really cut my teeth with gay sex was um on gay.com. It, it was it was like a chat, like a huge chat platform where you could private chat with people and do huge chat rooms. And um, it was all like localized for your area and very progressive for like the internet back then. And, and yeah, sharing pictures back and forth privately. And so, yeah, I was back on that shit in no time. And so I was found myself now I'm in the middle of this like evangelical, like this project. And I'm like, you know, wondering how to hook up with a guy and you now I'm on tour and I'm like, we do a Bible study and I'm like wanting it to hurry up and go because the city that we're playing in has my favorite bathhouse that I want to go to. And I'm going to go like, we have a day off. So I want to like go to that away from everybody. And I had a boyfriend who worked for CNN and he would fly to festivals that we would play at and use his press pass and get in. And I was like, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. But really my boyfriend was like, you know, in his rental car and I like would jump in and we'd go to the hotel and I'd spend the night with him. And the next morning I'd be dropped off in a place private and, you know, like that whole thing, I was living a double life and it was really tough. It's very cringy. It was very cringy to think about how much I lied back then. And, the whole show of like, there's a girl who's in LA and I met her and it's like, we've been texting a lot and talking on the phone. Like, Hey guys, look, I've got this girl on the line that I like. And then what about this girl in Florida? This other like chicken in Florida, she's cool. And she likes me. And we talk about, you know, like this yeah. whole charade while I had a boyfriend, you know, and. But you learned that skill as a kid. Absolutely. I mean, you talked yeah. about it earlier yeah. with yeah. your, your parents yes. and what their fake yeah. careers yeah. and you know, being embarrassed about all your broken. Yeah. I was really good at lying and I was really good at taking, you know, I I heard somewhere once like a a good liar is is, is somebody who knows how to, to like stop the emotion from like rising into their throat when they're talking. Like it's sort of like very straight. Nothing is, is, is going to, is, is, is showing any sort of waiver. But what is the cost of, what is the cost to yourself of getting that good? You know, I think the cost is really, is is not knowing ever how you feel 
I think that's the biggest thing. I think it's like yeah, I was I was thinking like a disconnection from your yeah. body because you can't let your yeah. body do the natural thing a body does when you yeah, lie. Exactly. You know, which yes. is like you're you're living you're not living out of your values. You are yeah. there's an internal conflict and then you have to shut that down. Yeah, you have to shut it down. Which and you also have to so it's not just like there's a lot of implications when you're out of your body. Who are you? Mm-hmm. What do I want? What do I believe in? Yeah. And you start to be such a good liar that like it's hard to like point to like everyday stuff anymore and say like this is who I am, this is what you like. And it becomes also much grander. The 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 visions for what you want to do become way big and the possibilities become way big, but the discipline's not there and the understanding of what it takes to get to those places aren't there because you're You've been lying for so long and let's, let's be actually like kinder to that. Like you've been unable to express your true self for so long that you, you don't know how to ask for what you want and need. You don't know how to advocate for yourself and set boundaries and all the shit that just comes with maturing. You don't, you can't do that. And you know, it's, it's hard for gay people to do that in general, much less when you're tangled in this like Christian world. So that was the cost is sort of like being very directionless after believing that your life should be evangelical at this point. It's like, once that kind of dies down, you're like, it wasn't like, Oh wow. There's an open field for me to run in now. It was like, Oh, I don't know what to do anymore because I don't know who I am. Patrons of this podcast get access to the patron-only Facebook group, as well as at least two exclusive episodes per month. The most recent one was a conversation with Ana Avila. She works for the Gospel Coalition Spanish Edition. Um, She lives in Guatemala. She's a Mexican citizen, lives there with her husband and two kids. And we talked about how, as a Mexican, she sees mental health and how she compares it to what she sees from American uh, citizens and, and Instagram personalities and what she gets from media coming from our country. We also talked about the reformed Christian circle that she finds herself in there, which is definitely a minority in Latin America. It's much more Catholic and Pentecostal down there. And it's an interesting conversation on the shorter end. Um, but if you're not a patron and you want to hear that, you should become one. Patreon.com slash Dan Koch. There's a link in the show notes, and we'll get back to talking with Joey. And yes, we've been listening to tracks from the new Man on Man record. This is Baby, You're My Everything. I was thinking of saving this question for the end, but it might be interesting to ask it now. As we're getting, as as these things are sort of coming to a head in your story, what would have been different if, let's just say, everything else was the same in your story? Still had a broken family, mm-hmm. still found Christ at fourteen, but if Christianity mm-hmm. that you came to was not non-affirming, mm-hmm. what if it was like you didn't grow up in Georgia? It was like Maine, and everybody was Episcopal <laughs> or Unitarian or mm-hmm. something like. How would this – and then let's just say also for the sake of argument that Cool Hand Luke was in a Christian music scene that was affirming. Mm-hmm. Like uh, 50 years from mm-hmm. now, there will be a version of your story that someone will have mm-hmm. where just everybody's basically affirming. Right. 
and this part wouldn't be that mm-hmm. way. Like, what do you think would have been different? And it's very hard to know, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think it is hard to know, but I think it's also let's just compare it to what it is now. Like, maybe I won't use too much of my imagination, but like, okay, what I'm extremely thankful for is my story and all that stuff being really hard and and being in a lot of ways mm-hmm. depressed and anxious and all the things that come along with that. But without that stuff, had I not grown up that way or experienced that, my life would not be nearly as cool as it is now. Because queer people, what we're really good at doing is finding these sort of subculture, sub-subculture groups to connect with that are like extremely radical thinkers and doers and performance art- artists and writers and 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 drag queens and every like there's the, the community is so enriching and diverse and the people that I've met through those communities and how that sort of forced me to like to really own up to my own shit and what do you want what do you want and to have a community that like pulls that out of me and, and makes me ask that question if I didn't have that resistance when I was younger I don't know if I would be as proud of my queerness now. I don't know if I would be able to recognize how special it is now. I don't know if queerness will ever become pedestrian in the way that being straight is, but mm. I really value the fact that we are able to to make a lot out of very little. So I think in a lot of ways, like <laughs> we have this conversation a lot with, you know, with, with my friends and, there is this element to what my boyfriend and I do with our music where we're trying to, I don't want to say normalize, but we're, we're trying to show the world that like being gay or queer is not just like campy and humorous or like really sexual. It can be affectionate and tender and romantic. And the question is sort of like, well, what, to what end do we want this to be the case? Do we want it to be accepted? Do we want to be, normalized and what i keep going back to is like there are so many kids who kill themselves for yeah you know there's a lot of trans people who are killed and there are a lot of um just a lot of youth that are are extremely vulnerable and sometimes I'm like I think we're getting too cool I think we're like focusing too much on like the culture and like we're we're focusing too much on like good art and we're we're kind of pulling away from like the people who actually need help right now and if maybe we're not as cool in 50 years because we don't have like this subversive community to be in anymore and maybe like things aren't as dangerous as they were but kids aren't killing themselves or being killed for something they can't control i think that's okay (laughs) like i think that's an okay payoff and so that's an interesting question though like uh how things would be different well can i before you answer the question i just i see a line between the what you just said that I we could interpret as like your purpose, basically in the way that that uh, you and Roddy approach man on man and and how you think through, like what is the message here? Yeah. To what end? Mm-hmm. And the meaning and purpose you found at fourteen, yeah. when you became a Christian, of like, oh, there's like 
there's a purpose for this. And yeah, you no longer think that the purpose is saving people from hell, right. which is what you thought at 14. Right. But it is still saving people. Sure, yeah. It's saving them from early death, from you guys donated all the proceeds from one of your early singles, I think maybe even a couple times, to an organization that tries to end conversion right. therapy, right, which is manifestly harmful right. uh, to to gay individuals and queer individuals. Uh, it doesn't work, and it just hurts people. Yeah. And so there – you know, and, and I get accused of this by some friends of like always wanting to save everybody and, and all that stuff, having – a little bit of a messiah complex and i'm sure it can go too far but there's you know there's also something beautiful in you in having a mission and having an actual goal that lines up with your values for good and flourishing and a reduction of suffering yeah and i do see a line there i don't want to i'm not trying to draw it for you in the way that you see there is a line there i mean that that's what we were talking about earlier like being evangelical at its core is forcing you to look outside of yourself and like help people. Again, everything has good and bad. If you're too much of something like, you know, we can be real and be like, well, you know what? Churches are the churches are like the only, you know, organizations starting hospitals and, and homeless facilities. And, you know, like we can really get into it and be like, well, let's not be too, you know, like, yeah, there's some shit that comes with it, but also like they do a lot of good for like, food pantries and single mothers and like there there's good shit happening. And so I think like when you're around that culture, what happens is when you grow up and maybe you become, you turn your back on it and, and you, or you learn from it and kind of grow from that. I think a highly evolved expat Christian person is somebody who was able to filter all the bullshit and hold on to the things that are really valuable. Like the thing about like, you know, Wanting other other people to to have yeah to have a mission, I think that's okay to say that to have some sort of mission. I mean, I think I think good shit comes from like not having any sort of agenda and just sort of feeling free sure. to create or whatever. But I think like once you're done creating, like Roddy and I, like ninety percent of what we talk about with men on man is like, what do we want to do with it? Like, what does it mean to people? How do we want to get it to people? And yeah. it's forcing us to rethink the whole thing about just being in a band in general. Once you start introducing this idea of like, what kind of purpose do you want your music to have? And that's, I think, the more fun stuff to talk about in general. So, yeah, I, I think it's the line is there. It's not even a dotted line. It's a very like this is here. Yeah. It's, it's it's very apparent and explicit that that does come from. But it also comes from a place of feeling really free in my sexuality now. And for for me, I know what it's like to feel so repressed and to feel like there's not really going to be an end in sight when it comes to when I can be able to express myself. And or right. or like maybe like part of it, but part of expression is like to be able to like touch touch another guy's penis. Like just feels really like normal and like childish. But it's like that's kind of like. I wanted to be able to, to do these things that I want to do. It was off limits. Yeah, it was so in off a limits. way that boobs or a vagina yeah. were not like off it's limits. So, like right. for you, like wasn't it so exciting to think about touching a vagina? Like that, dude. It's so cool. Yeah, it was. It it would. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it would run your life. Yeah, um, I mean, it was at that age. It yeah. was everything. I mean, in but, some sense, but, right? Yeah, but we don't. We don't get the chance to be awkward. 
and to mm. fumble through bad sexual experiences at that age. Like we can have awkward right. experiences in sex. Like I'm not saying kids don't hook up with the same sex, you know, now sure. or then, yeah. but like there's no safe, like, again, there's no safety net for that. And it's, we're sort of robbed of this, this experience of being able to, to be awkward and to be like clumsy with like our, the way we talk to our boyfriends or our girlfriends, like, and, or, or to nobody, like, you know, there's a lot of people who are asexual who feel the pressure of needing to like somebody. And it's like, we never could fully be awkward in our, our preferences sexually or, Hopefully that's changing now. I mean, probably some of that is where you live. You know, I think I hopefully that's changing in more urban areas yeah. and stuff. But certainly growing up in the 90s yeah. in Georgia, that was it not going to be available well, What I'm to seeing you, kids right? do now is yeah. like not want to label themselves as anything, which I think is like the, the most right. like the biggest sign of, of privilege ever, because there's been so many people who have fought to be known as like and exist as certain mm. types of people, trans, queer, whatever. And then now kids are just like, don't label me. And it's like, that's so bratty. And it's like, it's, it's like the ultimate sign of like this leisure life that you don't have to fight for anything. And you, and, and like, maybe that's okay. Like, okay. Yeah, I get that. No one wants to be put in a box. And that was a large part of why I didn't want to come out is because I liked mineral and, you know, the Gloria record and Elliot and American football and like indie rock. And I didn't love Madonna and I didn't love the shit that like all these stereotypical gay people like, but that's also my own internal internalized homophobia. Like actually, cause Madonna can be great. And, and there's a lot of things that are stereotypical about gay culture that is great. And it wasn't until I was able to come to that place in my own life huh. where I was like, you know what, if you don't like the definition of what being gay is, then can redefine it and be yourself. And the way that you yeah. will redefine it is when you're open about your interests and you're loud about the dichotomous, you know, like interests that you have with, I love Mariah Carey, but I also love mineral. I love Tupac, but I also, you know, like just be open about it. And through that work of being open and honest about what I'm into has made me learn to love the stereotypical gay shit. I'm like, yeah, those are my my people. Yeah. Those are my people. All that stereotypical shit that like internalized homophobia, you know, like it's just like so disgusted by is a culture that was built out of pain and suffering. That's their celebration. Yeah. So you're this like guy that's too straight or too macho for the gay world. That shit that you don't like is their literal celebration of themselves in the midst of this intense pressure and pain and this, this pandemic of all these people dying from HIV and AIDS and, or from AIDS. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, who am I, you know, to diss this thing? And it's like now when I see like a lot of shit now, like we we have a place in Provincetown now, which is like this huge, like not huge, but it's a like small gay gay town in, in in Cape Cod, and it's very gay. And I and it's just like I love seeing rainbows, and I love seeing just the shit that would have made me cringe at twenty years old. Now I'm like, ugh, I'm home. Like these are my people, and mm. and what a shame that people would would reject that in some ways now um because yeah uh there's a lot interesting in there that i would love to talk with you about and maybe we'll have to do that at a later <laughs> date i uh, apologies to pivot here yeah. um but one thing i haven't asked you yet is like how do you religiously identify today yeah. and then uh, we'll 
we can bring that into sort of in our last half an hour here, bring that into conversation with the rest of the story. Yeah, um, I, I think like now I would say that I'm I'm pretty open. I would say like in you, like maybe I'm universalist. Like I, I don't know if I can truly say like nothing's out there or nothing's driving anything. It feels like I've had too many experiences, especially with like losing my mom recently to to not believe that there's something more going on. Am I like Jesus is the way? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, like Jesus could be the way for sure. Like if that's what you need, like absolutely. I mean, Jesus was the way for me when I was a teenager, but mm-hmm. no, like that's not like a, no, I don't, I, I, I don't know how I would identify, but yeah, like universalist would probably be good. To, to be clear, there's two ways that people can mean that. There's like a Christian universalist. Universalist, which is, like Unitarian uh, kind of. Unitarian yeah. universalist yeah, yeah. is the other one. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and like, you know, the only offense that I would see now is, is uh, anybody claiming to really know the truth or anybody changing other people's behaviors because of what they believe in religiously. That would be the only time when I'd be like, fuck you. You're disgusting. But now I'm like, cool, whatever works for you. Like, and I love the fact that I can have a language with like, I can be a gay guy who has a a band with my boyfriend and we're getting known, but also talk to Christians like, and and be able to use scripture to like prove my points now. And, and like, and to talk. Oh, you've still got all that built up uh, in in cognitive assessment. We call that crystallized knowledge or crystallized Mm. uh, intelligence. Mm. It's the stuff that sticks with you that you learn. Yeah, but it's useful. You still got it. And I think like, you know, we talked before about like, there are some benefits of of being a Christian, like when you're younger with the responsibility, but also like my parents were, you know, or my family in general, it was hard because just for a lot of reasons for, for drug abuse and alcohol abuse. Before I was a Christian, I didn't have a language to tell them that they were not good parents. And by the way, right. my mom was awesome. Like my mom was doing her fucking best. Like, and, and she was a single yeah. mom and she was raising two boys. Like she wasn't bad. In fact, after she died, I'm like, my mom was so cool. Like she was so fucking cool. She was so pretty. And like, she was kind of like, let us do our thing. And I think like, if I had kids now, like that's what I would do too. Like, love you, but like, I'm not going to like do the whole thing. Like you're going to have your own opinions about stuff and you're going to make your own money and you're going to live your own life. And I'm not going to get too close to you to where you cannot live without me because that was probably the mm. biggest gift my mom gave us is like, I'm going to make you really bored. I'm not going to be around you and give you entertainment 24 hours a day. You're going to figure your own mm. shit out. And so, so I say that like, but maybe like the proximity of her choices, like the things that she allowed in the house, like maybe I wouldn't have done right, the same things right. specifically also at my dad's house, but I didn't have a language to tell them that like, Hey guys, you're not providing me a place for safety and for, for comfort. And you're not like protecting me. Whereas I could say you need Jesus because like your, your life is sinful. So I was able to have some sort of outlet and express these things to them that I would not have otherwise had. And even if now you would not frame it the same way of like what the solution was to the problem Mm -hmm. I bet you could find another way of phrasing it that is not all that dissimilar. No, yeah. And the problem is the same, yeah, right? And so even just it it giving you a framework to go, oh, this is the problem. And here's what I think the solution mm-hmm. is. 
And okay, maybe we might massage mm-hmm. that solution mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. bit, but is it 80% complete? You know, the whole thing is like, is 80% of it better than nothing? Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, it gave me an outlet and it also gave me an escape. Like yeah. I was able to not have to be stuck in this like destiny of like, okay, well then I'm going to start drinking eventually. And I'm going to start smoking copious amounts of weed and experimenting with things and getting fights with my friends and be violent. Like there was a way out of that too. And I think that mm-hmm. really intimidated my, you know, my dad in particular, like, you know, I think the fact that I was sort of like able to have, like I said, an escape, I think was somebody who's in their shit was probably very, it was a big turnoff. It was like, well, you know, my son who I'm supposed to be guiding has like, you know, more discipline and principles than I do at a, as a man. Doesn't need yeah, me. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. need me. And and that yeah. sucks for him, but cool for me. So wow. yeah, like I, I look back on that. Yeah. And it's like the language that I was able to have that age was so important for sure. The The homophobia and, you know, non-affirmation that was so baked into the Christianity that you came to. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship like with Christianity now on that on that particular issue? Mm-hmm. Have you been exposed to more affirming strains or is that still a point of like pain and frustration mm-hmm. or both or, you know, anything along those lines? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I, I think to look at my life now, it's it, I'm so far removed from the church. Like I haven't gone to church on my own volition. Like meaning, like like I didn't, I haven't purely gone to church. Like because I want to go to church and probably I don't know, like six or seven years. I've gone to church yeah. since then for you know Christmas mass or a funeral or whatever. But it's so far removed from my life now that I don't I don't have much to really be bitter about. We're getting we're getting into the stage. It's kind of like with my I've never thought about this. I'm kind of thinking about it out loud. But like, you know, when my mom passed away, it was immediately only good things about her. Like the shit about her. Even my brother, like when she died, my brother was like, "There was nothing wrong with her." And I remember it was too fresh. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like there's so many things. But then eventually, it's like, you know, I get to a place where I'm like, my mom was so rad and so cool and all this stuff. It's kind of the same thing with Christianity, where it's like that part of me has died in a way, but I'm I'm able to to find the value in in what it taught me and what it still teaches me a lot. So. I think the weirdest part for me is is seeing the residuals from that culture that permeate our our American culture, which yeah. is is essentially the core of of where homophobia comes from and sexism comes from is this like place of just like men are dominant because they're closer to God in some way and women submit and blah 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 blah. But um, that's I think where I would be I, I connect the dots a little bit on that and, and and can point to like the church is disgusting because of this. But I would actually say like the biggest embarrassment that I have personally as from being a Christian is really with my friends now, like to be able to, to have a language for scripture and like Christianese and like all of these, like, you know, whatever I, I have a complete understanding of that culture. And so for my friends now, it's really weird to them. You know, it's, it's, it's super fucking weird. And I live in New York city and I have for a long time. And it's like, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's Christian life is so far removed from what I do now 
that uh, it's kind of comical in a way. But that's also kind of like, you know, now that I have my boyfriend and I, like we talk about it sometimes and he's, I think he's kind of fascinated by, by that whole thing. Um, and that's kind mm. of, it's come into our music in some ways. Well, yeah, I have a little note about that actually, because you've two of the songs on, on the new man on man record, mm-hmm. uh, kamikaze, you guys sing, come thou fount of every mm-hmm. blessing. And it doesn't appear to me to be like. Uh, tongue in cheek mm-hmm. in the context of the song, but you could disabuse me mm-hmm. of that. And then in "Baby, You're My Everything," uh, a, a song I really like, by Thank the way. Um, Praise and glory to my King and angels we have heard on high. You do say, but our love is higher. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't come across as caustic. Mm-hmm. So I would. I think that like uh, <laughs> almost anybody who saw this project, and hopefully by now or soon, people will look it up and they'll understand what I'm about to say, but it is like a very explicitly and blatantly gay celebration album Mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, there's a lot of your and Roddy's skin Mm -hmm. in the artwork, in all the videos, a lot of tidy whiteies, a lot of shirts off. And then to have two out of 11 tracks Mm -hmm. have this blatant Christian religious imagery in a non combative Mm -hmm. way what the hell is going on there? Can yeah. what, what I, I want to hear about that. This is one of the things I wanted to ask you. Yeah, about. it's it all started when my when I was sort of opening up really to Roddy about my past, and and that was I think his intrigue was like because he grew up Catholic and and like he has some sort of understanding mm-hmm. of, of of church culture, but he grew up in he like grew up in L.A. So it was like this very sort of like yeah we're Catholic, and I grew up my experience was immensely different, and so I think just him like prodding and me kind of confessing about things that were really hard for me in the past, but also kind of like funny. He he started to pick up on these like ideas of, of how intense the language was around what we were believing in. And so, um, yeah. Especially coming from a, like a more cultural Catholic place, that would be the big, like like his church was like, it was about like the show and the, and the smoke and which I would have probably loved. But mine was much more about the emotion of it. And so, like, there are all these emotional words from it, uh, from our experiences. And so I think we just talked a lot about that. And in our relationship, you know, like, we use words like fellowship, you know. And we Hmm. jokingly started praying for our meals. And now we pray before, like, every dinner, basically, and just give thanks. And it's funny, usually, but we still do it almost every night where we were, I mean, his, just, I just want to record all of his cause they're so good. He'll start singing in this like, you know, chanty kind of thing sometimes. It's, it's so good. I just like <laughs> laugh the whole time. But, but the point yeah. is, is like, like from a holistic standpoint, like we, our friend Dusty, he grew up in, and and I think North Carolina or something like that, but, or South Carolina. And he was talking about when he saw the video for baby, you my everything because Roddy baptizes me in that video and there's these like major, not only just lyrical implications, but, but melodical implications to like this sort of like spiritual thing. And he grew up in the same environment that I grew up in and he's, he's out of it like me now. And, and he was saying like, it's so great to reclaim those words that had so much weight and now we can mm. still use them, but we can use them how we want to. And I loved when he said that because it's so true. And, 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 and truth be told, like Roddy, wrote most of that song and he was using those words from this sort of like 
And it's not, but it's not tongue in cheek. That's the cool thing that I love about it. It's like when we're singing, like come thou fount of every blessing, the next line is I'm not asking, I'm telling. Like I always thought that that song was so interesting to me because it's a command to God, come thou fount of every blessing. Hmm. And there's this sort of like funny thing to me where it's like, so we're just, we're not even asking, (laughs) we're telling you. And I love this idea of being in the middle of shit like we were last year in this pandemic and this idea. And and also, I love that song, Come Thy Thumb of Every Blessing. It's so beautiful. It's, it's one of my favorite. Yeah. Names, and yeah. so there was this part of me that was like, we're in it. Like we're in this like really crazy time where we don't know. And this is before the uprising. So it hadn't even got to where it was going yet. And it was still that bad and scary and and confusing and all that shit and so when you say uprising do you mean like the surge and cases and all no the uprising with black lives matter the okay the The, protest black lives matter summer protest yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and um yeah and it was just like you know and so that lyric came out of of that thing where it was like i'm gonna hearken back to this like time where i believed in this song but i'm also gonna add this like this understanding that I have of that song, which is like, I'm not asking you to come. I'm telling you to come. And mm. it's also like, you could look at a lot of other lyrics on our songs and point back to that too. And Roddy's really great. Roddy is like, there's a song on our record called it floated. It's the last song on our record. And it's, it's like, to me, it's genius. He wrote that song all by himself. And lyrically he's so genius. Like he, he, he like spends time on his words. Like I don't write anything down. I just sing and I make it make sense and whatever. He's somebody that just like writes down shit and like he's he's like a like very crafty with it, but he's not like he he doesn't try to be too clever. And with it floated, like God, I mean, talk about like I think people could pour over those lyrics who are like theologians and and really get into that. I think Roddy's like he's kind of like this genius in that way. But yeah, that's kind of like how all that shit started was just through these honest conversations about my yeah. past. One of the things from your past that I'm curious about, you know, the way that at 14 and beyond you were kind of, you were really saved, Mm -hmm. whether or not something happened spiritually in your status before God, Mm -hmm. both of us being universalist inclined, we we probably don't, I don't think that God saw you any differently. Let's put it that Mm -hmm. way. Um, But you were really saved Mm -hmm. and it was partially through uh, relationships mm-hmm. uh, with people like Barney, mm-hmm. but it was also through the rituals, a place to practice your skills, you know, a, a less judgmental group. And then I know you, there was tension with the double life and all mm-hmm. that stuff as well. But what I'm wondering now is like, have you found a way to replace that kind of the ritual and the practice? And And one of the reasons I asked is something that jumped out to me when you were talking about the only two things that really piss you off now is people claiming that they really know the Mm -hmm. truth or people trying to control other people's behavior. Mm -hmm. And that second one, that's really about the value of autonomy Mm -hmm. that we have autonomy and you don't, my autonomy is mine. It's not Mm -hmm. yours. You don't get to tell me what to do, but autonomy often comes at the cost of group action, Mm -hmm. collective action, ritual, you know, any kind of, any kind of top down authority of, a religion, but also a family or any, any sort of group. So that's a long question. And there's a few ways you could go with that, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I, I would actually even say like, it's we're not talking about autonomy. We're talking about the inability to create boundaries 
that are enduring. Because I think a lot of times what comes from this sort of like repression and I don't know, this oppression is that like, as much as we want to control our own lives, we're still not protected from doing that. Whereas with uh, non-marginalized people, you have access to finances, you have access to like larger group think, you have access to just social norms that reaffirm the way you're living and what you believe. For marginalized people, we don't have that shit usually. And so even if like I could come at somebody and challenge them top to bottom and read them for filth and like tell them how their shit's wrong, the boundaries they're able to set I can't penetrate them because they have all this, the boundaries that they, that they use the wall, the shit they use to build their walls is like, it's in our society's DNA. So I can't penetrate past that. So autonomy. Yeah, for sure. We all need autonomy, but really like what we need is to be able to feel protected. And, and like, we don't get that. We don't get the same thing. You know, we do like, and, and, and we find places where we're able to do that, of course. And, that makes more sense of that idea that what is so triggering mm-hmm. is not the word I want, mm-hmm. but whatever. So triggering for you is that like that sense that, that I don't have of people telling me what I can't and can't mm-hmm. do, can and can't do. But as a member of the queer population, like there is quite a bit more of that going mm-hmm. on and it's a, and it's a kind of a, a natural guttural sort of like reaction to that mm-hmm. of like, no, mm-hmm. like, what right do you have? Kind of yeah, thing. and it's also like it's not just so much like autonomy in that I want to do and be who I want. It's also the autonomy to not do anything and not be anything sometimes. Like mm-hmm. there's this constant quest of of knowing our queerness and knowing our place in our queerness and our queerness is place in the world. And sometimes the boundaries you want to create, we want to protect these sort of like this bombarding of you have to fit this understanding. Okay. Now we're cool with gay people, but only these kind of gay people. Like if you're the fab five Mm. and you're queer eye, cool. We have a stomach for that. Or if you're like, you know, Jack from Will and Grace and you're funny and you like musicals and theater and shit, that's fine. Oh, but you are a little overweight and you have hair on your body and you're kissing your boyfriend in a non-ironic way. Gross. Oh, I can be Will Ferrell and go on like Jimmy Kimmel and like, you know, French kiss him. Ha, 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 ha. But if right. I do it non-ironically, gross. Oh, because it's not a joke. Mm. That makes it bad. And so sometimes I don't want to even like, like somebody asking, like, why is it important to show your bodies? Like, I kind of don't want to answer that question. I want the freedom to not have to, to say why I want to do that. You know, so that protection, the fact that we have to be like people are suspicious of us and people second guess us and really don't believe us in the first place, it's kind of proof again of like, we don't have that same armor that other people have. Yeah. Nobody asks Ariana Grande why she wants to wear a bikini. Yeah. Because every guy who's programming YouTube and who's creating the algorithm wants to see her as naked as possible. So no one's going to take down her videos. No one's going to take down the weekends videos where he has like literally nude women showing their asses, which by the way, awesome. But like, no one's going to take that down. (laughs) No one's going to create an algorithm that like, you know, when you see girls butts, but me and my boyfriend are in underwear and YouTube's going to take it down. 
Did that happen? Yeah, it happened with our first video. We were averaging 20,000 views a day when we first put out our first video. So the second day we had like over 40,000 views. No, like we didn't have no label, nothing. And it caught yeah. in the next, on Sunday morning, we woke up, YouTube took it down. You can, you can Google Rolling Stone man on man daddy. And there's a whole article about it. And eventually since Rolling Stone put it, took it, you know, wrote about it, they put it back up, but it right. completely squashed any momentum we had. And yeah, man, like it's just, <laughs> people are cool with straight shit. Like as long as it's funny, uh, you can be gay. Yeah. Like Blink-182 can run down the street naked. Oh my God. Isn't that so crazy and funny? But if yeah. I do it in a loving way with my partner in our underwear, not even naked, it's like, not I've naked. just lost my lunch. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, too much to untangle there <laughs> for the, for the 12 minutes that we have left. Yeah. I mean, I might just need to have you and Roddy, if you guys would do it, come back yeah, and Roddy's so talk fun. about some of that Roddy's stuff. So fun it would be that. really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd also really love to talk about cause he's, he's older than mm-hmm. you and, and he grew up in LA, which means he was, a. Uh, I just checked his age to, mm-hmm. to check my math here, but he was in LA at the beginning of the AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. which is actually where it started, mm-hmm. not in New York, which some people don't know, but again, that might need to be a separate conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to ask you about this. Well, I, I want, can we try and answer that question from earlier, which we, you, you said a bunch of really interesting stuff, but you never actually oh, got to Sorry. answering it. I do that. No, no, no. Because we, I took this another way, but you know, can you imagine how your faith would be different today mm-hmm. if that faith didn't require you to live a double life from age 14 because okay. of your yeah, sexuality? Yeah. So for me personally, I get really uncomfortable when I'm in one environment. So if it's like, Unless it's gay, like I'm okay with gay shit, but not always, you know, Um, like if I'm around like overly political people or like sports fanatics, I'm at a sports bar. If I'm at like a business conference or I've ever been to a business conference, whatever. When I'm ever around one type of person, I I Mm. completely freak out. I hate it so much. So in that way, I think I would still not be a Christian, even if it was affirming, because I would see that like the church is not as culturally diverse as it pretends it is. Whereas like the Mm. queer culture, it's like, I've got everybody, like everybody's in it. Like it's so, there's so many kinds of people who are queer, not just in race, but in just like think like every, everything you can possibly imagine, like there's queer people. And I've got access to that diverse friend group. The church I've always found is like extremely segregated, not just again in race, but also like in thought and it doesn't seem very like integrated in a lot of ways. And I feel like that would probably eventually get really boring to me no matter where mm-hmm. I try to go with it. Cause when I was in Nashville, I tried to go to a, uni- uh, a Unitarian Universalist church and yeah. it was still the same vibe where it was like just white people, but sure. basically people who were softer and more open to spirituality, right, but right, it still right. felt yeah. the same kind of people that I didn't really feel like surrounding myself with who didn't think that meditation was opening you up to right exactly but let me let me push back a little bit like how many of your queer friends are politically or sociopolitically conservative um a few actually yeah i mean i think i have a few i mean it's it's way less than who are liberal but i do have people who you know that whole log cabin shit like log cabin republican like i know people who who believe in that and it's weird it's especially Mm. weird over the last 
you know, was weird during 45's term, but like, sure, you know, yeah. I, I was like, whatever. Okay. Just like, if that's what you believe, fine. I mean, look, there's people who are so liberal, they're almost conservative, like for real, like where it's like, <laughs> you're so radical that like, you're now. Skirting. Yeah. The two yes, ends are yes. kind of meeting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've actually seen some interesting reporting yeah. about that. Um, you know, I, I just think it's part of a larger, uh, you know, some people call it the big sort, and that's the name of a book about it. But like, we're just sorting more and more into two mm-hmm. tribes yeah, in America. And that's what is actually the engine of a lot of the religious political identification is that everybody's just basically joining one of these two tribes. Then there are like mm-hmm. leftists who reject both of those tribes. Of course, there are other factions, but most people are just moving to an urban area with progressive Mm -hmm. friends and they want to drive an electric car and the other half are moving to more Mm -hmm. rural areas with conservative friends and they get a Mm -hmm. big pickup truck and they get their clothing from Bass Pro shops and you just put a million things on either list. Uh, Or not. Yeah, that's true of the church. That's the thing is you don't put a million things on each list. Your options are those, just that. And so I think when you're talking about like what system is saying that they're What's the word that you use? The book is the way you used. Uh, like big who's sort. sorting? Like yeah. who's naming the categories? Like who? Like it's actually not that scary when you think about it because it's like most people crave security and comfort, and so right. you know there's not a ton of imagination when you grow up of, of like who to be and what to do. But there again, there's like that residual of the Christian world where it's like be bigger, think bigger, act supernaturally. Um, that does kind of, I hope for most kids who grew up in that environment, maybe I hope that imagination doesn't completely go away, but I think like the big sort, like it's, it's like, again, it's, I go back to, it's like, no one's different. I mean, that's how I was when I grew up. Like we're not divided. We're only divided when you like put us into a category. Like if you're sorting us, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to be naturally because you're sorting us in a, in a category. And if people have a couple of options to choose from, then yeah, you're going to probably be pretty split in half because there's only two or three choices. So, right. you know, I don't know, but then, but then the danger, maybe I should read the book, but the danger is like, how do those, how does that sorting process and that sorting identity perpetuate um, dangerous ideology? And and I think, yeah, I think that is one of the dangers. Uh, it's it, it to me is the opposite of the value that you were describing within your queer and friend community of that, that identity actually covers all these other, all this variety. And so you actually have these various inputs into your life and it's not just all, you know, white moms in Mm -hmm. LA or something. It's, you know, it's like, you've got this because that queer identity is like essentially a genetic lottery. Mm -hmm. This is something interesting that I might need to think about some more. It's one of the, there, there aren't many of those things Mm -hmm. left that have a true randomness to them such that people like the Peace Corps, like this is one of the reasons that people like David Brooks and I really support this argue for a year of mandatory national Mm -hmm. service for kids out of high school. You don't have to be in the army. You can like do it. There could be like a domestic peace corps for mm-hmm. poor areas or, but like where you essentially get randomly paired with 15 other 18 mm-hmm. year olds and they're going to be from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, and that randomness element of like, you happen to yeah. be gay. 
Now, if you had not yeah. been gay, your life would be would have such a different yeah. trajectory. But that effectively random thing that happened now that all these other people have that random yeah. thing. And now you have, you know, yeah. and there's like so few of those yeah. now. That's I would really say I support that same thing that you guys support, but only for straight people and white people. Like because oh, because of possibilities of uh, well, for, yeah, being marginalized, yes, and further. also because marginalized people don't need lessons on how to take care of other people. Like, yeah, there mm. there are some dangerous sort of like as as a queer person, like to get as far away and removed from suffering as possible. Like, I see that in our culture for sure, and I see it's how dangerous it is to try to jump into this like perfect life, and it so removes you from suffering that you don't care about other people. But I think that marginalized people have it hard enough as it is. And it's like, what's making their life hard is not because they don't know how to take care of other people. It's because other people are them up. And yeah, I, we don't have time to talk about it. I think that that would be an interesting one to, if we can get back on and talking more about Mm -hmm. queer issues, that would be really interesting to talk about. I think it's not just about like, learning how to take care of people but it's about being introduced to a broader swath of society which would i think end up increasing compassion and empathy for marginalized Mm -hmm. people such that but yeah i understand there's a trade-off there with some of those 18 year olds Mm -hmm. are going to suffer uh in the short Mm -hmm. term especially that's very it feels hyperbolic like i get it but it's like yeah Yeah. but no one's gonna do that and who's gonna set up the pairing and who's gonna make sure people are protected and who's gonna set up the mission well i just you know a lot of countries do do it i mean scandinavian countries do it norway does it uh i believe but do you think america do you think america is capable of taking a model from anybody i don't don't know i don't yeah maybe not i mean yeah we took romney care and we had i'm not saying that you're wrong like i think you're it's a great idea i'm just saying like Oh my God. Like the thought of us, like, you know, yeah. putting our sword down and admitting the fact that other people can do it better than us. Like, forget about it. No one's going to do that. People won't even wear a f- mask. Yeah. Could you imagine something they had to go a year and do something? Like, oh my God. It'll be chaos. I do think it's, yeah, I think it'd be, uh, there's a, there's an uphill battle mm. there. Well, okay. So we're, we're almost done mm. here, um, Joey. And I guess. I like to try and figure out at the very end, like what we agree Mm -hmm. and disagree on. And there hasn't been a whole lot of that because you're not really, you don't have all these like really strong opinions that go against Mm -hmm. your old ones. And, and most of your old ones I don't hold anymore Mm -hmm. anyway. And so there hasn't been a lot of that. I'm I'm trying to think what is the difference. And I think that what I would say is uh, the difference for me probably is that I think I have a lot more regular religious experience Mm -hmm. around Christianity Mm -hmm. than you have. And then that makes me place my Christian practice much closer to the center of mm-hmm. my life. And so I identify as Christian because I just literally mm-hmm. am one. I I live a Christian life where when I make when I have hard decisions, I think about the mm-hmm. Sermon on the Mount. You know, I I I do we haven't been going to church since Jaffrey was pregnant and then pandemic, but we will be going mm-hmm. back and we will raise Soren, my son, as a Christian in, mm-hmm. in some way. So that's maybe mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah, majorly. Um, I don't know. Uh, you, what else? What else do you think? Or I guess um, I didn't. We didn't talk about me very yeah, much. Yeah, thank God. Um, I would say I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I would say differences would be. Yeah, I don't think there are a lot of differences. Um, I mean, I I think the differences are like 
you probably, because you have a family, like there is an element that you're working toward to, because it is so hard to have a family that you are probably working toward setting up really sort of solid foundation for how you operate as a family in terms of like where you live. And I don't know, like, I'm sure it's really hard to have a kid and and I'm sure it's really. I think some of it though, is actually a lot of what we were talking about with your story. Obviously I I hope that Soren currently he's not being raised Mm -hmm. in a broken home. um, And neither Jeffrey or I are bringing around boyfriends Mm -hmm. or girlfriends, but like all the same things are still going to apply to him as a kid and a teenager. And and I want all of those sort of social science benefits for him while he figures out what he believes theoretically about God. And he's going to have his own journey in terms of beliefs. Right. But I want to raise him with that protective community, with good rituals, with coming of age mm-hmm. rituals, you know, to uh, with with that uh, safe space to practice music if he wants to do music or writing mm-hmm. or you know, I, I do want him to have all that stuff mm-hmm. that I had um, that I, I think was unambiguously mm-hmm. a good thing. And, you know, I because of my research, I'm I'm keenly aware of the people for whom it is not a good mm-hmm. thing, the victims of abuse especially. But statistically on the whole, it tends to be a good thing for your average mm-hmm. person. And so that's probably more of it. But then also, you know, I think I experience God. And so I think God's real. And so I want anybody else to experience God, including my son, of course. But I'm also really aware that that's going to be different for him. It's very different the way that my wife and I experience. Well, you guys God. are so in Seattle, right? It's going to be different for him. Yeah, We're I mean, Seattle. I think that yeah. would probably be immensely different for him, just because I think Seattle is like so, 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 so progressive. Yeah, and he's going to yeah. go to public school yeah. probably. I mean, maybe he'll end up at Catholic school right. or something, but almost yeah. definitely not evangelical right. school like I went to. But yeah, so I guess there's, I guess our differences, maybe in beliefs, I probably have a lot more beliefs than you do Mm -hmm. about this stuff because I'm a nerd Mm -hmm. about it. I'm not a Unitarian Universalist, like I'm not in that denomination, but I am a Christian inclusivist. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that the only way for people to meaningfully interact with God is through Mm -hmm. the Christian tradition. I think God interacts with people in every tradition and non-religious people just as well. So that belief is not different. Uh, for us, it's more a difference mm-hmm. in practice, I think, practice and identity. Yeah, or something I think it, like I that. think it, you know, what you took from your experience is to, to create a better version of that. I think what that's the differences between you and I, like, I think that or you and me is like, I think that you are sort of setting a better, like, you're, you're kind of reforming it in a way. And you're taking that thing and making it like, you're still calling it the same thing in some ways, not really. And whereas, yeah, whereas no, I'm true. sort of saying like that part of that doesn't drive, I'm not, my, my goal is to not try to redefine or reform anything from that world because right. by and large, you know, 99.9% of churches don't allow gay volunteers, let alone gay staff that are paid. So I don't want to be a part of that club. Like, so when people... Might be more like ninety five percent now, ninety percent now. There's so many churches. Ninety. There's a lot of denominations that are affirming. I know, but I know. There's now there. Where are the people at? They are largely at. But I'm just saying the number probably was ninety nine percent when you uh you and I were growing up. It is changing, and I would let's say ninety five percent of the churches in America are not. That's still yeah. 
they're not places for I gay don't, people. I just to thrive, don't want to be like sure. that club is not the club sure. I want to be a part of. And also, and I don't want to, and I, you have the luxury as, and uh, your listeners might be disgusted by hearing the word straight white men. Like, oh my God, we're so sick of hearing straight white men. No, but like the, the no, truth no. is like you can afford, you have the luxury, you have the mental capacity and the, and the, the fortitude to, to want to change that. I need to focus on myself and survival in a lot of ways. Like, or I did before, like, you know, maybe it's not so bad now because I have a partner who I love and who loves me and supports me in every way that I can possibly yeah. support it. But like, it just, it's not interesting to me. Like, I don't, like, I don't think it's interesting, but I think it's so valuable. And I think it is, I think it's interesting that you do it because I think that like some cool shit will happen because of it, you know? And yep. I want to see what happens. But for me, that's just, as we say, as you said, it's not my life's mission. You know, I, I know that now and that's yeah. okay. No, I think that's what, well, I appreciate you saying that. that, but that's why I'm so interested. And if I, if I do get you back on to talk about this, I, I really, I really find this thought experiment so interesting because I actually think that the percentage of Gen mm-hmm. Z who will, let's say, hit age 50 being non-gay mm-hmm. affirming Christians, mm-hmm. I'm saying the percentage of the percentage of Gen Z mm-hmm. Christians who are not gay affirming 30 years from now, if I had to guess, is going to be 15 no, percent. I, I disagree. Yes. The demographics are changing rapidly on that stuff. And you I can I can point to you now. You can have a what do you, you might mean, have but, a theory whoa, 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 whoa. for why gay affirming is such a loaded thing to say. I just mean Christians who do not think that gay sex is wrong because oh my God, it's gay. Yeah, you're so wrong. By virtue of no, being gay. No way. Dude, I we're gonna have to text about some Pew research stuff here because I'm saying it the future is much rosier oh, than you by think. By the way, it is on I this think issue. the I agree with you. I think the future is so rosy. But I'm saying I think a lot of people confuse their tolerance for their acceptance. And I think that when you well, okay, when so research sure. people, they might have – I think it's cool mm. to not be homophobic and transphobic. But I think at its core – I mean when I was 18 years old, I remember being on a chat in the chat room and I was yeah. telling a guy – why I thought that gay marriage shouldn't be legal. It should be between a man and a woman on a gay website Jeez. in a gay chat room. Yeah. And yeah. I then transferred into, yeah, everybody should be married. I didn't believe it. I still thought that marriage was between a man and a woman. It took me a long time yeah. to, to untangle that shit. And maybe you're right. Maybe if people are like steeped in this different world of, of acceptance and maybe it just never occurs to them, but I don't know. Like I, Tribe, like you say, like I mean, tribalism is a real thing now, and I, I, I don't know. Okay, I, I, okay, so you're 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 obviously mentioning a different layer than I was talking about, and I will completely admit that you could be right on that. But I think it's probably going to be closer to like interracial mm-hmm. marriage, where at some generational mm-hmm. point, nobody gave a shit mm-hmm. anymore. And it, they couldn't believe that anyone would have given a shit. But there are grandparents and great par- great parents alive today who still feel weird about that because everybody felt mm-hmm. weird about it where they grew up. But 18-year-olds, from my understanding of the research mm-hmm. on this group of religious young people, they just don't yeah. see it. They don't get why their parents aren't affirming of all their city, queer friends. Though? There's no way Pew's going well, to f***ing, like, sure you know – Winston, Alabama. They do. No, Pew, literally, they have a representative mm-hmm. sample of America. That's what they do. That's all mm-hmm. they do. Everything is representative sample, geographically, age, race, whatever. They get as close mm-hmm. as they can, 
as they can to that. I know you got to go. You guys have some stuff tonight to promote with friends and then to promote the record. We'll, and so, be, we'll talk more um, about it, but I, I will we'll have to talk this. more about I agree this. with you that the future is rosy and our kids are going to be fucking yeah. rad. Oh, they're going to be cannot, great, dude. I cannot wait for Soren and his buddies to get old enough that they start doing cool shit. That makes me really, really happy. Um, so the band is called Man yeah. on Man, and the record is called mm-hmm. Man on Man. It's today. out. Uh, I'll put a little spot. It yeah. came out today, although this yeah, will come out cool. later. But I'll put a little Spotify Thank link uh, yeah, to the album. So nice. Um, anything else you want? Pe- should I put your Instagram um, on there? Sure. My Instagram you? is at Holman Holman Holman. My last name Holman Holman and Holman. My yeah, band's Instagram is at Man on Man Music. And um, yeah, just uh, listen to our record and I don't know, have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll just say really quick, uh, I'll I'll name a couple songs that I particularly enjoy Mm -hmm. if people want to, if they want a place to start. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beach House, Mm -hmm. Baby You're My Everything and Kamikaze. Those are the three that stood out to me most on on first listen because it just came out today. But I know there are some other singles and stuff that Mm -hmm. have videos and, and other tracks that people have uh, are really yeah. liking and blogs are writing yeah. about and all that shit. So check out the record, Joey. Thank, thank you so much you for your so time, much. man. This was yeah, really was so fun awesome. conversation for me. I really appreciate it. We'll, we'll, I would like to come back with, with my boyfriend and, and talk to you about stuff. He's cool because he has a very much more pragmatic, like practical view on a lot of this stuff. I'm, I'm, I get really distracted with one thing and go way left, but he's, he really reels me in and a lot of stuff. He's so fun to listen to and hear his opinion about that stuff. Well, I would love it, and hopefully we can set that up. All right, man, thanks. Thanks to Joey for chatting with me on such short notice, and thanks to Josh Gilbert, my editor, for editing on short notice to get this out quickly. Patreon.com slash Dan Coke. If you want to join the Patreon community... And uh, if your spouse is a patron, you can join the Facebook group. There is a way to say, yes, my spouse is a patron, and we will approve that. Um, The songs you heard from Man on Man today were Stoner, Baby, You're My Everything, and Beach House. There are links, as we said, to their socials. And we'll see you guys next week for the peer-reviewed evidence that church is good for us. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. Shop Amazon for last minute gifts. Great deals for everyone on your list. Gifts for mom and gifts for dad. Even for your sister and your brother, Chad. Ah, shoot, we didn't realize we were supposed to get a gift for our dog walker guy. We almost forgot about our dentist, Dr. Kerr. We didn't expect to get a gift from her. Or our cousin, I forget his name. He got us something nice, better reciprocate. For last minute deals on gifts for people you forgot. Get past the free shipping at Amazon.